the unknown. Mystery. Space. Fun. Adventure. Suspense. Fantasy. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. Hello, and welcome to Journey Into. This is journey number... What's the number? It doesn't matter, man. Just say it's a special episode. Oh, okay. This is a special episode. Oh, I'm sorry. Say it's a very special episode. Okay. This is a very special episode of Journey Into. I'm your guide on this particular journey. This is Big Anklevich coming to you from base camp in somewhere in Oregon. What's the name of the town? Tur- Turner, Oregon. Turner. I'm it took coming... us 83 minutes to find the exit on the freeway, man. I would think you'd notice. <laughs> Turner, Oregon, which is where we turned off of the freeway. Yes. Oh, hey, and I'm Rish Outfield. I am your co-guide along this journey. You're the navigator. I'm the navigator. All right. And, uh, you know, we got here, and Marshall was um, was nowhere to be found, right? Is, is that what we're going with? Nowhere to be found? Yeah, he wasn't here. We couldn't find him anywhere. So we just... He definitely wasn't somewhere dark and damp. That's right. And, and tied up. Definitely wasn't any of those things. So That's not what happened to Marshall at all. No. And until he gets home from grocery shopping or the church or the, the, the town hall or parent-teacher conference or whatever is, is keeping him tied up right now. I'm not, not literally tied up like, you know, in a chair by the water heater or anything like that. I, I suppose we should uh, be your hosts and, and present this, this episode to you. That's right. We can be your guides. Always let your conscience be your guide, really. So I'll be your conscience today. And we're going to bring you a, a lovely little tale of, of a nice small town idyllic small town idyllic yes and just how they show their love to one another it's it's really a beautiful story indeed it is let me uh give you a little bit of info about this story all right i would love that please be our guide conscience the 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 story that we're presenting to you today is an adaptation of the lottery by shirley jackson and shirley jackson was an american author very popular in her time with many many short story sales during a short period uh, she died in 1965 at the age of 48 and uh, she was um, pretty renowned I, I looked at the list of short story of publications and it was we're talking hundreds of stories nice but um, of of those stories she's best known for the haunting of hill house for we have always lived in the castle and the lottery, first and foremost. And what we're presenting today, it... Oh, shoot, I, I just occurred to me, I don't know how to get this thing to work. Did you read the manual or talk to Marshall uh, about the... Oh, I looked at the manual. It was long and stupid. Well, if Marshall were here, um, he could probably run the... What is it called? The Wamperdime radio tuner? For us? Yeah, Wamperdime. He gave us... There's the instructions, but... I mean, it does look dangerous. He does say we have to put down the rubber mat over the cable connections, and we can't plug it in until every, every, everything is hooked up. (sighs) And you have to hook a jumper cable to the... Do you think we can pause? Just pause the show for a second and see if we can figure out how to make this thing work? You mean go down and ask him? Yes, let's pause by all means, and we will read the manual and educate ourselves. Hmm. All right. Boy, he whines a lot, huh? 
This is too uncomfortable. It's hard to smell. What, what am I going to pee in? Are, are, we're not recording, are we? Back up. Oh, there. We're starting back up. Okay. So, hey, thank you for reading that uh, manual for us, Big. You're welcome. So, yeah, now we've got it set up, right? This thing's going to work? I hope so. What uh, we're going to listen to today is a 1951 NBC radio adaptation of The Lottery. Uh, it was an episode of the anthology series NBC Presents Short, Short Story. Story. <laughs> and it was broadcast March 14th, 1951, the first time. And it's really, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see if we can make this thing work. Okay, we've got to turn the course adjustment dial. Okay. Not supernatural, not post-apocalypse, not mermaids. Uh, okay, here we go. Idyllic small town. Perfect. Okay, that's the course adjustment. Then there's the cord, the electrode. Oh, I have to put it on my forehead. Okay. I'm thinking about the lottery. Wait, I, th I hear something. Is that it? I've been hearing something. Uh, I should close the basement door, too. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't please, because it's it, making it hard, this, this tuning in. Oh, I think I got it. Happy Hunger Games, and may the odds be ever in your favor. May the odds be ever in your favor? Oh, crap, no. That's the Hunger Games. Okay, let me try again. Um... Keep it down, Latham, or you get the hose again. Okay, oh, oh, I'm, I'm hearing something again. Uh, I'm getting some... Oh, oh, here we go, it's... You're special. You have a very special purpose in life. You've been chosen. The island awaits you. Oh, crap, that's that island movie that's not it either <sighs> okay let me try harder here lottery what what year was it nbc productions 51 okay come on 51 nbc 50. the queen's stone will match only one he held out the bag and the girls each took a stone none hurried to look at theirs and his whisper that they hold them between their two palms was almost unnecessary the stone was black a murmur twittered through the crowd. Jensa leaned over, trying to catch a glimpse. Sindri opened his daughter's hands fully to expose the hieroglyph. He saw the spirit shape, the occluded woman's shape, his future falling away. Oh, wait, this is a story from our show. Which show is that, Big? Uh, the Doonstief Audio Fiction Magazine, Rish. Funny you should ask. Yeah, I don't think we mentioned that. Sinesis and the Ash King, I think it was called? Yeah, not that one either. Darn it, I need Shirley Jackson. Lottery. Okay. Okay, come on. Come on, lottery. Ooh, here comes a news report about the lottery. Hey, down in front. The whole state is suddenly in the grip of lottery fever, and Springfield is no exception. In fact, every copy of Shirley Jackson's The Lottery has been checked out from the Springfield Public Library. Of course, the book does not contain any hints on how to win the lottery. It is rather a chilling tale of conformity gone mad. Oh. NBC presents Short Story. Tonight, Shirley Jackson. Oh, I think I got it. I think we're tuned in. We're tuned in. Okay, that sounds right. So join us on this journey into... Tradition. 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 What would have been so terrible? NBC presents Short Story. Tonight, Shirley Jackson. She's novelist and short story writer, master of the sunny mood that turns to terror in a single sentence. But her statements are not dark for the sake of darkness, rather for the bitter truth that's in them. Shirley Jackson, night one of the most dramatic and horrifying of the Shirley Jackson stories, The Lottery. The Lottery, which will be heard immediately following this announcement by the United States Marine Corps. Most of us know the United States Marine Corps as a highly successful fighting organization, 
And we know that the Corps trains its members to conduct themselves with efficiency, speed, and skill whenever the security of our country is threatened. Much of the success of Marine Corps operations may be directly attributed to the leadership ability of the individual Marine. The qualities of leadership which make a successful Marine are also those which make a successful businessman or statesman. Today, thousands of Marine veterans hold responsible positions in practically every field of endeavor. These men learn to lead, to make swift, intelligent decisions as part of their Marine Corps training. Today, leadership ability is more important than ever. There's an increasing need for capable, efficient leaders in business, government, and community affairs. To become a leader, a man must learn self-discipline. Moreover, he must develop initiative and a sense of responsibility. These are qualities that Marine Corps training develops. And that's why no matter what a man's profession, no matter what his chosen career, Marine Corps training will help him get ahead. Here now, The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. Folks in the town line will be in today for the lottery. I can't find my collar stud. Who took my collar stud? Nah, just don't fret, grandsire. It's around here somewhere. Now, if I can't find my collar stud, I ain't going. Seventy-seven lotteries I've been to, never missed a one. Laura, you find my collar stud, you hear? Tie the stock on to the end of it and just move out. You mean 
mean just just leave the farm? That's right. I was going to do it before lottery day this year. That's crazy, Bill. Where would you settle? Well, your folks have farmed that ground since heaven knows when. Yeah, I know. I was going to just move out. It's too late now. Oh, Bill, you talk the same way every year. No sense to it. No, there's no sense to it. A woman sees things like this clearer. You just don't think about it, that's all. You come in for the lottery, then go to Summers and buy something nice. Talk to folks. Why don't you look at it that way, Bill? Uh, I suppose you're right. School teacher agreed with me, though. Go on, get up there. Well, that's the way, Pop. Hurry up, we'll miss all the fun. Talking about planting rain, tractors, taxes, you know. Dickie Delacroix and a couple of kids had made a great big pile of stones in one corner of the square, and they were playing King of the Hill on it. The men stood together away from the pile of stones watching. Their jokes were quiet, and they smiled rather than laughed. Looking folks, aren't they, John? Yeah, they're nice. They don't see them all together except on lottery day. Of course, there's Sunday and church, but some go to the congregational list and some to the Baptist, and folks like the Dunbars don't go nowhere. Morning, mm-hmm. Mr. Summers. Morning, Tessie. I've got those patterns in. I'll be over right after. John. Morning, Bill. Uh, I want to talk to you. Hello, Summers. Morning. Don't worry about me. I've got to see about the box and all over the drawings. Oh, morning, Johnny. Well, it's the day. Yeah. You going to draw? I've got to. That's the rules. You said you wouldn't. You sat there in the post office and said you wouldn't. I know, but I'd have to leave town. It isn't easy to get another school this late. Well, anyways, you only draw for yourself. Tessie keeps talking about after. Starts me to sweating. She keeps talking about buying a pattern up to the summer store after. Short-waisted, she said. I suppose you get used to it. I suppose if you've always had it, you don't think about it. I don't. I lived in the village all my life. I don't get used to it. Laura, can hmm? I stay with Dickie Delacroix? Can I stay with him? No, you got to stay with the family, Davy. Oh, the other kids got all the stones. Can I stay with uh, them? Davy, I said, Davy, come here. Da- Davy. Look at that. He's having fun. All the kids are having fun. Why? That's what I want to know. Why? You're a farmer. You know the answer. You told me you couldn't find anything in the book says it has to be. It stands to reason you find it in the books, don't it? This isn't my part of the country, Hutchinson. I don't make the rules. You don't stand to reason you could try to find out the truth. That's all I say. You can't argue with the folks about the lottery. I've tried. No, you can't argue with folks. Well, anyways, it's a nice day for it. It ain't right. I've been telling them year after year it ain't right. Now, Grandsire, take it easy. Now, you listen to me, Floyd Summers. I'm the oldest man in the village. Seventy-seven years I've been in the lottery. Seventy-seven years. Yeah, I know that, Mr. Warner, but you But can't don't butt me. No, sir, don't butt me. I know what's right about the lottery. It ought to be chips of wood. One chip with the name of every family, all in a big black box. Well, we can't do it that way, Grandsire. You know that. The box ain't big enough. That's the way it was when I was a boy. Chips of wood. None of this here bitty pieces of paper. Paper, huh? What kind of a lottery you expect to have with paper? Well, there's too many folks in the village for wood anymore. Uh, nobody pays any mind to the old ways. There ought to be marching, too. I, I remember marching and, and somebody sort of, of chanting like. That's what there ought to be on lottery day. Uh, that was a long time ago. Nobody remembers that anymore. That's the trouble. Nobody remembers. Now, you take that black uh, box. It's cracking. Uh, we ought to make a new one. A new one? Listen to him. A new box. Why, they used that box in my father's time for the lottery. And he told me it's made from the pieces of the box in his grandfather's time. Now, you're supposed to be in charge of that box. Why, I saw it year before last, lying in Graves' barn. And this year, it sat right on the shelf in your store. Now, is that any way to take care of that box? They don't run the lottery the way they used to. Hey, I've been in it 77 years, and I ought to know. (laughs) 
Miss Delacroix. All right, Tessie. Tessie. Now, what is it, Bill? Where's Davy? Playing with the other children there by the stones. Get him over here. Why? We're hitching up and getting out. Oh, we've got to wait for the drawing. We can't go now. I said we're going now. Oh, Bill, don't be silly. First place, we came all the way into the village for the lottery. Second place, summers won't be open till after. And I want to get those patterns. But after? Don't you understand? Suppose, suppose... Bill, I'm surprised at you. Why, nobody else acts this way. You, you've just got to take it as it comes. You're a farmer. You know that. What's that got to do with it? Well, you didn't take on when the hog died of cholera before killing time. You just went on. But that's different. It just happened. You can't help it if someone don't go. No, I won't. Neither will you. I don't get into the village often, and lottery day is one time I can see all the other women and talk. I'm not going back till it's all over supper time. <laughs> My goodness, Bill, you'd think it was something unusual. Lottery comes every year. It always has. as were the square dances, the teenage club, and the Halloween program by Mr. Summers, who had time and energy to devote to civic affairs. He was a round-faced, jovial man, and the people were sorry for him because he had no children, and his wife was a scold. He was busy in the middle of the square with a little black box, setting it up and balancing it on a three-legged stool. Hey, one of you folks want to give me a hand with the box? Is uh, Mr. Martin? All right, boy. Hey, just hold it on that corner, steady. Watch his hands, Summers. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to do this fair and square just like always. Now, last night up at the coal company office, Mr. Graves and I made up the slips of paper. There ought to be chips of wood. What kind of piddling lottery can you have with... Now, Grandsire, don't you interrupt Mr. Summers. There's a the box here. Anybody wants to can haul them out and check them over. Time now for the swearing in. Mr. Graves will administer the oath to me. I expect, as usual, we'll waive election. Didn't used to be no election. Used to pass from father to son. All right, all right. You, Floyd Summers, solemnly swear to carry out the duties of this lottery without fear or favor or prejudice, bias, or any other untoward acts of omission or commission, so help you. I do. You tell <laughs> well, I expect now we're ready. We'll proceed as usual, drawn by families according to the rules. Wait a minute. Huh? Wait a minute, Lloyd Summers. Oh, looks like another interruption. Oh, morning, Mrs. Martin. How do you like that? Clean forgot what day it was. Hello, Tessa. Good morning. How are you? I thought my old man was out back stacking wood. Then I looked out the window and the kids was gone, and I remembered it was the 27th and came a-running. Did I miss anything? Oh, you're in time. They're still talking away up there. It was just beginning, Mrs. Martin. Martin, now you just take your place with your family. Hands still wet from the dishwater. Oh. Well, now I guess we better get started. Yeah. Let's get this over with so we can get back to work. Yeah. Uh, ain't anybody here? Huh? Well, now let's. This ain't the drawing. Just checking the list. Yeah. Now, uh, Adams. Adams. Well, I'm glad to see you. I guess you made it after all, huh, Miss Martin? Well, now, Tessie, between you and me, I knew it was lottery day, but you wouldn't have me leave the dishes in the sink now, would you? Dunbar! 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 Come on, Dunbar! Who draws for Dunbar? Clyde broke his leg, didn't he? Now, who's drawing for him? Well, I guess I draw. Oh, that's right. That's the rule. Wife draws for husband. Captain, you've got a grown boy to do it for you, haven't you, Jenny? Well, Horace is not for 16 yet. Guess I've got to fill in for the old man this year. All right, I got that check. Watson boy drawing this year? Yeah. Oh, there you are, Charlie. Good to see your mother's got a man to do it. I suppose old man Warner's here. You know darn well I'm here, Floyd Summers. I was just talking to you. I ain't missed the lottery in 77 years. <laughs> All right, grandsire. Just joking. <laughs> well, that gets the list straight. All the rest is straight family. Unless anybody's got anything to add, we're ready for the drawing. Now then, Adams. 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 Yeah. Hi, Steve. Just draw any one. Don't look at it till after. Next, Adamson. Adamson. Right, that does it. Anderson. 
Anderson. Seems like they changed order dawn, don't it, Tessie? Oh, no. That's the way it's always been. Seems like there's just no time at all between lotteries anymore. Seems like we got through with the last one only last week. I declare the way time flies. Time sure goes fast. Delacroix. Delacroix. Oh, there goes my old man. Now, don't worry, Agnes. Dunbar. Dunbar. Oh, that's you, Janie. Well, you ladies will excuse me. Come on, Janie. You're holding us up. There she goes. I'm coming. Well, folks shouldn't hold up the lottery. It takes up a perfectly good morning as it is. Well, last year I didn't get time for half the things I meant to do in town. You're right, Tessie. My old man says he don't like lottery day because I always run the bill up at summer sky high. Gunderson. John Gunderson. Oh, there goes the schoolmaster. I'm not going to draw, Mr. Summers. <laughs> He's got to draw. Now, John, you know the rules. This is your second year in the village. I know. But I'm not going to draw. Now, don't be contrary, boy. Everybody draws in the lottery. What makes you better, schoolmaster? I don't believe in it. Now, that isn't the point, John, and you know it. Listen to him. He don't believe in the lottery. You hear that? Now, take it easy, Grandpa. We've always had the lottery. Everybody knows that. Always have and always will. Over in the North Village, they're talking of giving up the lottery. Ah, a pack of crazy fools in North Village. Listen to this idiot. Nothing's good enough for him. Next thing you know, they'll be wanting to go back to living in caves. Nobody work anymore. Live like that for a while. They don't have the lottery up where I come from. Stopped it years ago. Yeah, maybe so, but we ain't fools. Not here. Used to be a saying. Lottery in June, corn will grow soon. Now you listen to him with his books and ciphering. First thing you know, we'll all be eating stewed chickweed and acorn. You're right, Grandpa. Yes, there always been a lottery. Bad enough it ain't what it used to be with Floyd Summers up there joking and all. But there's always been a lottery. But why? Why? I tell you, they've stopped it up north more villages every year. And the corn grows just as high. Ah, nothing but trouble in that. Pack of fools. Now, you ain't no farmer, Gunderson. Old man won his right. Yes, sir. Lottery in June, corn will grow soon. That's the way it's always been. Yeah, you yeah. can't get around that, schoolmaster. Lottery in June. But nobody knows you've never tried. You just go on and on every year the same way. You're darn tootin'. And we're going right on just like we always done. What call is a young outsider to talk that way on Lottery Day? That's what I'd like now, to know. Seventy-seven years but I've been coming to the But can't you see there's no reason for it? No reason. Year after year for generations on June 27th. If you'd only think. If you'd only try. If you were willing to use reason instead of blind obedience to a crazy outlaw and yeah, that'll be about enough, John. You spoke your piece. Now we better get down to business. Rules say if anybody balks, the committee draws for him. Now, is that right, folks? Yeah, certainly yeah. is. That's right. Yes, sir. Now, I'm going to call you again regular and proper. If you stand mute, we'll go right on and draw for you. Now, which is it? All right. All right, I'll draw. Fine, fine. Now, let's get on. Hutchinson? Yes. Bill Hutchinson. Get on up there, Bill. There goes your man, Tessa. Imagine the schoolmaster making such a fuss. He's no better than the rest if everybody draws on lottery day. All right, sir. Now the last one. Warner. Uh, yes, sir. I'm right here. All right, then, sir. Take it easy. It's no rush. Yeah. This makes the 77th year I've been in the lottery. Yes, sir. 77 times. Uh, uh, draw your slip now. Yeah. All right. It's all done. Martin, close the box. Yeah. <laughs> Who's got it? What family? I ain't. I ain't got it. Grandpa, let me see your paper. Let me you see let it. go of my hand, you hear? I can take care of myself. Ma, Ma, is it us? Is it us, Ma? Well, for goodness sake, what family is it? Who's got it? All right, all right, all right, folks. Now, let's do this orderly. Now, now, come on. Now, what family's got the black slip? It's the Hutchinson's. There. Look, Bill Hutchinson's got it. Yeah, that's right. Aggie, Aggie, you run and tell your father it's the Hutchinson. Go on, run. It isn't fair. It isn't fair. Like Summers, I saw you. You didn't give him time to take any slip he wanted. I saw you. It wasn't fair. Now, Tessie, be a good sport. All of us took the same chance. It isn't fair, I tell you. It isn't fair. Shut up, Tessie. Well, now, everybody, that was done pretty fast. Just one hour or two minutes. Now, we've got to be hurrying a little more to get done before noon. It wasn't fair. Now, Bill, uh, let's see. Uh, you draw for the Hutchinson family, don't you? 
You got any other households in the Hutchinson? Hey, Miss Don and Eva, make them take their chance. Make them draw. Now, Tessie, Eva's your daughter, but she's married now. Daughters draw with her husband's families. You know that as well as anyone else. Oh, yeah, sure. It wasn't fair. I guess that's it, Joe. My daughter draws with her husband's family. That's only fair. Well, now, Bill? I guess there's just us, Floyd. Davy, Tessie, and me. All right, now. Then as far as drawing for families is concerned, it's you. And as far as drawing for households is concerned, that's you, too. Guess that's right. Martin, you give me the tickets for the Hutchinsons, all three of them. You got their tickets back? I got them. They're in the box, Floyd. All set, then. I... I think we ought to start over. Now, Tessie. I tell you, it wasn't fair. You didn't give him time enough to choose. Everybody's all there. Now, we'll have to get on now. Are you ready, Bill? Listen, everybody, listen. You gotta listen. It was fair. You could see that. Are you ready, Bill? Ready. Davy, pick first. Then you. Then Tessie. Now, you got that? Here, help little Dave. Davy, come here. Sure, Pa. It wasn't fair. Miss Delacroix, you could see they didn't give him time. Now, don't make a fuss, Tessie. It ain't fitting. All right now, Bill. You take the slips and keep them folded till everybody picks. Come on, Davy. Go on, son. Now, Davy, I, I want you to pick a piece of paper out of this box and hold tight. You understand? Sure, Mr. Summers. All right. Pick now. <laughs> just just one paper, Davy. Oh, I got one. Good. Now, you better hold it for him, Martin. All set. All right, Bill. One paper. That's right. Now, Tessie. Oh, no. no, it wasn't fair. Tessie, you've got to draw. Come on, Tessie. <laughs> All right. All right. I hope it ain't the child. Don't yes, you mind. Right. It used to be. I tell you, it ought to be chips of wood. Lottery ain't like it used to be. People ain't the way they used to be. Oh, Quiet now, folks. Now, let's open the papers. Davy? Come on, Davy. Open your paper. There's nothing on it. Well. Bill? Mine's blank. Then I guess it's Tessie. Oh, no. No. Show us her paper, Bill, just for the rules. Tessie, open your oh, no. hand. No, no, no. Come on, now. Open your hand. No, no. Yeah, it's Tessie, all right. Mom, I'm going over by the pile of stones, all right? All right, folks. Let's finish quickly now. No, no, no. Oh, Bill! Bill! No, it's Bill! It's too late, Tessie. There's nothing I can do. Come on, Miss Delacroix. We better get a good stone before they're all gone. Oh, Dickie will save one for me. Well, hurry up. She'll be running soon. It wasn't fair. There wasn't time. Oh, Bill! Bill, please! Bill! You heard him, Tessie. Lottery in June. Corn will grow soon. That's a nice boy, Dickie. What a nice big stone. Uh, you'll have to go ahead and I'll catch up with you. Can't run at all with arthritis in my knees. All right. There's Davy. Davy, Davy, come here. Yes, ma'am. Now, here's a little stone for you. Take it. Sure. Now, you come along with me, Davy. Sure, I want, Mr. Flint. We've got to run after Ma now, huh? That's right, Davy. Come on. Listen, everybody, they didn't give me time. It wasn't children played in the dust throwing pebbles at each other. The lottery was over for this year. Lottery in June, corn will grow soon. Next year, next June 27th, well, maybe we'll learn. Maybe there'll be no lottery. Maybe we'll begin to reason, to find the truth. 
Maybe we'll find out we don't have to pick out folks in the lottery just because our fathers and their fathers did it. Because it always was that way. Maybe next year there won't be a lottery. It's up to all of us. Chances are there will be, though. You have heard The Lottery by Shirley Jackson, whose novel The Hangsman will be published soon. The adaptation was by Ernest Canoy of NBC. In tonight's cast, Mrs. Summers was Louise Larimer. Summers was Charles Field. Mrs. Delacroix was Gail Bonney. Dickie was Johnny McGovern. Hutchinson was Jeff Corey. Davy was Jeffrey Silver. Warner was Stephen Chase. Mrs. Dunbar was Irene Pedro. The schoolmaster was Jim Nusser. Tessie was Margaret Brayton. Graves was Jack Nessel. The folk music was by Morris King. Your announcer, Don Stanley. The director of NBC Presents Short Story is Andrew C. Love. Be with us again two weeks from tonight as NBC Presents Short Story. On that occasion, a powerful story of machine politics and corruptible men. Shadow of Evil by James Aswell. Hear it two weeks from tonight. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Did yes, you... thank you for coming on this journey with us. Right. Journey along to the end of the story. Thank you, folks, for listening. You know, while we were slapping uh, Marshall around, I mean... In one of Marshall's emails, he told us that he'd never heard of the lottery. I remember that. That's absurd. How can he have never heard of the lottery? Is it just me? I would say that the lottery is probably one of the five most famous stories of the 20th century. If we would just say short stories, I think it's got to be one of the most famous of all. I guess we can put it out there, and, and if people know better than us then they can tell us i suppose but i would say telltale heart has got to be one of the top five the lottery i don't know i, I wanted to say a rose for emily but have you you don't know the rose for emily i don't but i i want to check it out after you uh, telling me what it was about i like that three what other stories short stories oh oh the most dangerous game yeah that's very famous that's, that's got to be number four and The Monkey's Paw, those five, top five stories of all time. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, surely there's a story or two you're forgetting that if somebody brought up, you'd be like, oh, wait, 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 that's more famous than uh, Most Dangerous Game. Yeah, I guess it's possible. So th this, the story this was based on was published in The New Yorker in 1948, and... It was ridiculously controversial. I, I read this thing about Shirley Jackson where she said that she got 10 to 12 letters a day about the lottery from that point on that it was published. And she would get packages every single week from the New Yorker where they'd forwarded letters about the story to her. And she had the hazmat team to her house once a week <laughs> because of white powder in an envelope. <laughs> oh, and, and another thing that was really interesting about Shirley Jackson is she refused. She was one of those people that didn't want to do interviews. And she didn't want to talk about her stories or her books. And she's like, you know, these things speak for themselves. And so people would ask her, well, what does it mean? And she would not answer that question. Okay, so she said, explaining just what I had hoped to say in the story is very difficult. I suppose I hoped by setting a particularly brutal ancient rite in the present and in my own village, to shock the story's readers with a graphic dramatization of the pointless violence and general inhumanity in their own lives. Curiously, there are three main themes which dominate the letters of that first summer. This is her talking years later. Uh -huh. In 1960, she gave a lecture, and, and this is quoting that. 
Three themes which might be identified as bewilderment, speculation, and plain old-fashioned abuse. In the years since then, during which the story has been anthologized, dramatized, televised, and even in one completely mystifying transformation, made into a ballet, Ooh, nice. the tenor of letters I receive has changed. I am addressed more politely as a rule, and the letters largely confine themselves to questions like, what does this story mean? The general tone of the early letters, however, was a kind of wide-eyed, shocked innocence. People at first were not so much concerned with what the story meant. What they wanted to know was where these lotteries were held and whether they could go there and watch. <laughs> I found that delightful when I read that. I was just like, there's something so sick about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny how you were talking about all the different ways it was dramatized because my first experience with the lottery was as a play. Wait, wait, well, tell me about this. I think we talked about it a little bit the last time we were on Marshall's show. I think that's why he chose the lottery for us, actually, is because I mentioned that it, we, the Telltale Heart and the lottery were done as kind of a, a combo, and we went as a field trip. I want to say it was in middle school, I think, we went as a field trip for school, and we watched these two plays put on. It's like the mystifyingness of doing it as a ballet. Oftentimes they do interesting things with plays. And one of the things they did in this play is they had little cutouts of people. Not like cardboard cutouts of like Jean-Luc Picard or something, but like wooden looking cutouts that were more stylized. And they were kind of all around. And then at the end, when they threw the rocks at the woman, then the woman went away and she became a cardboard cutout. Or not, again, a stylized wooden cutout, I should say. I'm not sure if they were trying to say that all these other ones were the people that won the lottery in years past or what the deal was, but it took me a while to really understand what had happened because of the version of the play that I saw. It was just like, so they turned her into a statue? Because, you know, also they didn't actually throw rocks. They just acted like they were throwing. Oh. I was like... Did they throw a spell at her and turn her into a statue? I don't... But yeah, eventually I did uh, read the story itself and, and learned what it was actually about, what was going on. But yeah, it is an interesting story. It's funny that you should say that she was most well known for We Have Always Lived in the Castle as well, because that was a book that we read in my English class in 11th grade as well. And I remember vividly the endless there was this taunt that the main girl her name was mary catherine and everybody called her mary cat and there was this like song and my teacher came up with like a tune for it that all the kids would taunt her with it's been a long time and unfortunately i can't remember uh, all the details of the story but i believe either her parents or maybe it was her grandparents or somebody from her family it's like they had tea one day and the tea was poisoned and they died and they would taunt this girl singing, Mary Cat said, Constance, do you want the cup of tea? Oh no, said Mary Cat, you'll poison me. Why, you funny. really remember this? I remember just that bit. Because it, it came up again and again, and my teacher was, he was one of those English teachers that couldn't have been any other kind of teacher. He was weird. And he would really, really get into the books and doing the songs and that kind of stuff. He made you and your cast of dozens of other voices look like a child's play because he was way crazier. That's funny, I didn't realize that was Shirley Jackson too. I wonder if I would have liked that book better if I hadn't had to read it in school though. Have you ever noticed that that kind of happens? That you don't appreciate something if you're forced to read it? Yeah, if you have to read a book in school, you just don't like it. I don't know if it's because they give you more challenging books in school, and so therefore often they're hard to understand. Like my favorite book of all time, probably, is Charles Dickens' Great Expectations. I'm sorry, G-R-A-T-E Expectations? Also by Edmund Wells? <laughs> by Darles Chickens. Um, <laughs> And we had to read that in ninth grade. And I utterly 
hated that book in ninth grade. It wasn't until years later when I had this kind of urge to come to know the classics better and I went through and I tried to read a bunch of older books like Moby Dick and Wuthering Heights and in this particular case I found a reading done by Frank Muller of Great Expectations and so I listened to that and my goodness it, it changed my tune on that book. I changed completely, 100% turned around and instead of hating this book, loved this book. And I wonder if that's, we have always lived in the castle. Would I love that book if I just read it myself instead of reading it in my English class with my teacher? Have you ever had a, a, a book that you had to read, you had to read for class? Not one even that you've, you know, picked off a list and did as your book report, but one that like the whole class had to read that you liked? I don't think so. I remember in 10th grade, we were all forced to read Alas Babylon. Uh-huh. And nowadays, I would have thrilled to be able to read Alas Babylon. But for some reason, because we were doing it in some kind of sanitized, enforced, ritualistic way, there was no fun and there was no... The, it, it wasn't the best book to read in that particular class. And so the teacher always had to make apologies for it. And, and it just, yeah, it sucked. What would, I mean, because that's a really scary book. And you want people to know, hey, this is really scary. What would you do and all that? But instead, it was like, we're going to hold your hand in case anyone is disturbed or upset because I don't want to lose my job. Yeah, that's interesting because I was, as you, oh, hold on a sec. Dang it, he's... Get back down there, Marshall. What? Okay, is there a lock for this door? How did he get out? I don't... I'm, I'm, I'm just going to lock the door. Okay, there we go. At least his mouth's still taped. Okay, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, it's funny that you would mention that because as I asked you that question, I was trying to think of the answer myself, and there were two books ever that I think I enjoyed when we had to read it. For school and the funny thing was one of them was Alas Babylon in 10th grade we all had to read that one too I liked that one a lot and really enjoyed reading that one I really liked it maybe it's just because I love science fiction and the fact that they gave us a science fiction book to read I mean this was a, a post-apocalyptic story this was after a nuclear holocaust maybe that was what it was that made me appreciate it more than any of the other books that we, we read. And then that same year, we also read The Lord of the Flies. And I think that book was probably universally loved by my English class, which was kind of weird. Like I remember going into class and people would just be like talking, oh, did you, did you get to this part yet? Oh, did you find out what happened to Simon? Oh, do you know what happened to Piggy? Oh, his brains were all over the rocks, oh. Maybe it was because of how violent it was, or I'm not sure what it was that everybody loved about that book. But yeah, my entire 10th grade class seemed to love The Lord of the Flies, whereas any other book. I think that same year we had to read Julius Caesar from Shakespeare. Nobody uh, enjoyed that one as much. In other years, yeah, we had to read Hamlet, I'm trying to think of what other books we were forced to read. What else were we forced to read in school? What else did you get forced to read? I don't remember. Uh, Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah. Jeez, it's weird that I can't remember any of those. But see, I think your experience and my experience was very different. I never enjoyed anything that I was forced to read in school. College maybe a little bit more. But still, there was the specter of, hey, please don't make us lose our jobs in college also. <laughs> um, I think had, had I grown up where you grew up, where there was a love of literature instead of a fear of it, that might have been very different. Yeah, it seems like we had the same curriculum, especially if you were having to read Alas Babylon the same year that we read Alas Babylon. You may have had, but you didn't read The Lord of the Flies then? I don't think so, no. Okay. The you-know-what would have hit the fan, I think, if we'd read Lord of the Flies. <laughs> right. That same, you know, A Rose for Emily, which we were talking about earlier, that I was asking if you knew. I had to read that one for school, and I think I had to read it once in high school and once, maybe twice in college. 
that one I just despise. And it's funny because I told you the whole story. And it sounds rad. And you're like, oh, sounds awesome. I want to read that story. But <laughs> I hated it. Maybe it's, I think it might again just be the fact that they forced us to read it. This is what you have to read. You have to write a paper on it. You have to, you know, maybe it's the paper that you have to write on it. You can't just read it to enjoy it. I don't know what it is, but there's something about having to read something for a class that makes it work and drudgery instead of fun. And it's funny because I read a lot in high school. I read all sorts of books. I didn't have a thing against reading, like a lot of people do, where they're saying, where's the pictures and all oh, the movies better and whatever stupid crap that you get from teenagers that can't read their own name. It didn't matter if you had to read it for a class, then it wasn't fun, it wasn't cool. I think we can agree on that, man. I wonder if I would like other of Shirley Jackson's stories. What was the third one that you said that she was most known for? Well, I think this was number one, and then The Haunting of Hill House would have been number two. The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, I don't know that one. I've never read that one. But that's one that became like a several different versions of a horror movie, right? Right. There's the one that Robert Wise made in the 60s. There was one that Jan de Bont made in the 90s. That was Speed 2. That he one, was the director that, of, particular. of Speed. <laughs> anyway, uh, it uh, it was really famous. I, I mostly knew it because Stephen King would talk endlessly about the haunting of Hill House. He really dug that. Uh-huh. It would be interesting to go out and get more of her things. I just recently, at, back at our own home base, uh, in the, the Doonstief study, I just finished putting all the shelves up. We had the, the regular height shelves, and I've added two levels to them, so now they make it to the ceiling. So I'm really excited about it, but I don't have enough books to fill my shelves, so I really need to start picking it up and getting some more books. Maybe I should get myself a few Shirley Jackson novels and collections and stuff. I assume that's the one good thing about classics, is you can usually get them for cheap because they don't have to pay any royalties to the author that way and so they they pump out cheap versions of them that you can buy well i don't know that she wrote these things that long ago that they're in the public domain well they may not be in the public domain but even when they're you know they, the author is how many years dead 40 years dead yeah yeah i'm sure they're not paying much of a premium to get a hold of her works I'm sure the uh, estate is like oh you want to publish these oh sh yeah you're going to give us money for them? Oh, we'll take it. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But that would be interesting to check them out. One, yeah, one thing, and I, of course I mentioned it when I was talking about her, but one thing that people always talked about with the lottery was, wh what is it really about? What is it trying to say? Mm -hmm. What is the theme of the lottery? And, and I know that we've discussed this on our own show, but hey, this is our own show now. That's right. There's nothing that ruins a story more than having somebody say, what is the theme of this story? And having there be like a wrong answer. Right. I mean, just, you know, whatever you get out of the story is what you got out of it. Uh-huh. And with a story like this where she doesn't, say this is what it's all supposed to mean and this is what you're supposed to get out of it it's all just left to your own interpretation and i think that's part of why it was a big deal at the time you know when people will say well obviously tolkien was talking about world war one when he wrote the lord of the rings i think that that <laughs> that's all just speculation that holds no water at all but people want to say that this means this and that means that and you know, there's it's exactly people want seagull and uh <laughs> with this one what do you think it's about i don't know it's hard to say because for one she wrote it in 1950 48 48 was it so the world was a completely different place i could come up with a meaning for it for 2014 and say that it's about these people who have just followed the same traditions forever and there's no reason behind it you know they're killing someone every year do they even say that it's to please the gods or anything like that i mean they don't even have that much of a reason behind no it. it's it's going to make the harvest uh, a good one 
You know what I mean? Yeah. They say lottery in June, corn be coming soon or something like that. It's repeated a couple of times, not nearly as much as the guy saying, I've seen 77 lotteries. We had to make a drinking game of that, of how many times that guy says he's seen 77 lotteries. You would be passed <laughs> out before this, the episode is done. But yeah, I mean, they don't even have a good reason that it's going to give them a good harvest. Obviously, they have bad harvests and good harvests, even though they have, I mean, they have the lottery every year. They have good and bad harvests, but they still keep doing the lottery. They're killing someone from their people that they know for no good reason. You know, the 2014 theme to that story, I would say, is just, you know, people that have traditions. You could say they have their religious traditions or the traditions of their country or whatever, the things that they do. You know, you could, maybe you could put the 50s version of it and say black people aren't allowed to drink from the same water fountain as white people. It's always been that way, and so it's going to stay that way. I mean, it's, that seems like a good theme for 1948 to go with it. You know, we've always done things this way, so we're going to keep doing them that way. Because if it was good enough for granddad, it's good enough for me. And, and see, that's uh, 2014 talking just as much as 1948. We've all heard that. Yeah, it is. We've it, all heard. It doesn't go It was away. good enough for my grandpa's day, so it's good enough for me. If it's not black people that are being shunned, it's somebody else. And it, every place has different people. You go to one place and it's Muslims. You go to another place and it's uh, Swedes. Every place has their prejudices or whatever, and it's just it's always been that way, and they don't have a good reason for it. But you know they'll hold on to it, and this story just kind of holds the mirror up to that and says, "Look, this is how dumb these things are." At least that's what I see out of this story. Well, you sir are wrong. The correct answer is, <laughs> unfortunately, that's not real. <laughs> See, that's the good thing about stories that you read in an English class or whatever, is that generally, as long as you can back up your theme, your assumption about what the story's about, then your teacher will give you a decent grade. If you can't back it up, then you're wrong. <laughs> you have no reasons as to why you say it's this or that or whatever. Well, you know, I think uh, we've probably talked about all that we have to say. Do you think... We should just end the episode, or? I don't know, part of me wonders if Marshall would have had something to contribute if, if he had been doing this episode. Yeah, I guess we could ask him. I mean, he, he's sort of close by. Okay, we've got him tied up in the basement, and... Uh, he wanted to do it. It was his idea. I, I said, no, no, and we're not going to kick you three or four times. I'm not that kind of person. Yeah, yeah, he was all for it. I don't know what kind of things he's into but apparently that's one of them i guess we could we'll bring him out for a minute all right and if it yeah. doesn't work he will go back that's right into the dark all right yeah, come on over marshall hey uh we we're talking about the lottery and we were just curious what you thought about it so are you a fan of shirley jackson at all marshall that's interesting that he uh, yeah. he would bring that up. I, yeah, uh, it's funny. Were, weren't we saying before that he'd not even heard of the lottery before, right? Is that the case uh, with you, Marshall? When when did you first read this story? <sighs> you know, I don't. This isn't working. Maybe we should just put him back in the bottom of that well thing they have down there. Okay, that sounds good. I think those are called septic tanks. Oh. Okay. <laughs> or I guess we could take the tape off his mouth for a minute you think if he contributes to the uh, conversation sure just uh, we'll give him a trial run all right ah! <laughs> well there's a big piece of his lip on that tape ah. oh yeah nice so what are you guys doing we're guest hosting your show marcel you invited us remember well i wasn't planning on spinning it in the closet you said you wanted us to do the show for you so we figured that was the easiest way you're out of Oreo cookies, by the way. I, I was thinking you guys could do it where you live. Oh, well, you should have said that at some point, because that was a long drive. So there. You know, I, I thought we'd come a lot further than this since the last time you took over my show. You know, I, I thought we'd work things out and. No, we had. We gotten rid of the robot and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I figured we were we were better than this now. We, we hadn't come farther. It's the same distance still. A long drive. 
So, Marsha, we were playing uh, NBC, a radio adaptation of The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. Well, I mean, oh, yeah. it seems like at one point you told me you had never read The Lottery, or you'd never heard of The Lottery. Could either of these things be true? Yeah, I mean, that is true. I, Big had mentioned it when we were talking about stories and Poe and stuff, and I had never heard of The Lottery. So I looked it up, I read about people's reactions to Shirley Jackson's story in The New Yorker. And so I thought, I wonder if there's an audio version of that. So I sought it out and found this one by NBC Short Story. So I thought, hey, since Big knows about it, I'll ask him. I'll ask him and Rich to talk about it on the show. It was a mistake, wasn't it? I'm living to regret it. <laughs> At least you're living. Count yourself lucky. That is true. But yeah, no, I was, I had never heard of the, the story before. And yeah, it was it was I was pretty blown away by the ending. Well, I guess I kind of I kind of knew what what the ending was coming by a couple of the things that I had read, but I thought it was I can see why people had such a hard time with that, especially back when it was written. Why there was such a reaction to it? Yeah. And yeah, I see Big uh, first read it in fourth grade, where the the class the fourth grade cl- was it fourth? I think it was seventh. Seventh grade class was forced to read and then reenact the lottery, <laughs> and. He told me that that really stuck with him. He never quite forgot that. Yeah. My rock hit home is all I can say. <laughs> it was a good story. You know, now we'd probably be used to that kind of stuff. You know, like watching Twilight Zone episodes and stuff like that where there is this twist at the end. But for its time, I'm sure it was pretty shocking to everybody. Um, we were talking earlier about uh, what... The story means, because I guess that's one of the things that a lot of people have asked Shirley Jackson. Once they finally grew to not want her death, they just (laughs) decided that they just wanted to know what the story meant, and they would ask her that a lot. She didn't want to answer, because, you know, you don't want to... It's like the magician saying, oh, okay, well, here's how I did the trick. I do this, distract you to look over here, and then I pull this out, you know. Well, yeah, because I think most fiction... You know, once it's out in the public, it belongs to the reader. It belongs, what do you take from that, you know? Right. So my question for you is, what do you think it means? <laughs> what is the underlying message or the moral or the... I took from it that uh, conformity for conformity's sake is not a good thing for society. If you're not willing to to hear out other ideas or to see what other people can come up with and you're just doing it because that's the way it's been done for all these years then you're probably not willing to learn or not not to expand and you're probably hurting society in general so an anti-conformist type story yeah basically a punk rock story for the uh there you go yeah for the late 40s but, you know, and I, I was trying to decide where she came on that. Was she saying this because she thought everybody around her, you know, or society in general was just followers and conformists? Was she writing this to go against that, or was she just trying to write an evocative story of something that you know, would really make people question, make people think? I really haven't decided how she felt about it, but. Well, that was something in my reading. She, she didn't want to talk about it. She didn't like to give interviews, and she didn't like it when people would ask that question. And I, I think that's kind of admirable, because who wouldn't want to talk about their own work if somebody said, hey, we'd like to interview for you for the newspaper about a story you wrote. She, just, she, she liked to believe that her work uh, spoke for itself. Sometimes I think you can take this message and go to the extreme of the message itself. I mean, there are tried and true methods to things and tried and true things that just because it, it's the way it used to be done and it's been done that way for many years doesn't mean you have to do it differently. It doesn't mean you just have to rebel against that or you always have to change and continually morph away from things that have always worked. Uh-huh. So conformity for conformity's sake is the, the problem. Right. It isn't necessarily bad, like those old wives' tale methods of, you know, you can you can get gum out of your clothes by 
freezing it with ice or, you know, whatever weird thing that sometimes people will say. Yeah, some of those things. They may actually work work. because they've tried them all these years and that actually works. But other times it's just plain superstition or idiocy being kicked on down the line and everybody just does it because without ever questioning it. And that is the the real problem. Hmm. Yeah. You know, Marshall, that reminds me of something my grandpappy used to say. I happen to have brought a, a slinky today. And uh, my grandpappy used to say, slinky in spring, Parsec Award it will bring. My grandpappy said that too. Oh, that's, that's funny. Yeah. Um, slinky in spring, Parsec, parsec it will bring. bring. Yeah, slinky in spring, Parsec, parsec it will bring. Spring. Slinky, slinky in spring. spring. Five second, oh. will bring Slinky and Spring. <laughs> I think that's all the time that we have for today. Big, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think we've pretty much covered everything. Thanks for listening to uh, Journey Into. Yes, yeah, so we'd like to thank the late. I mean, we'd like to thank Marshall Latham for allowing us into his home and and for the furniture that we're going to walk out with. Yeah, got a truck out there ready to load it up, so that'll be good. Uh, thanks a lot, Marshall. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, journey on, Wayne. The journey on, Garth. We'll see you at the Parsec uh, Awards. Yeah. Good night. This is Robbie Latham, and I'm here to tell you that the Journey Into podcast is produced under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. This means that while you cannot change it or sell it, you are encouraged to share it however with whomever you would like. The theme music for the podcast has been provided by Man in Space.